Chapter Thirty of Ruth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cynthia Lyons. Ruth by Elizabeth Cleghorn Gaskell. Chapter Thirty, The Forged Deed. Mister Wynne, the parish surgeon, was right he could and did obtain employment for ruth as a sick nurse her home was with the bensons every spare moment was given to leonard and to them but she was at the call of all the invalids in the town at first her work lay exclusively among the paupers at first too there was a recoil from many circumstances which impressed upon her the most fully the physical sufferings of those whom she tended but she tried to lose the sense of these or rather to lessen them and to make them take their appointed places in thinking of the individuals themselves as separate from their decaying frames and all along she had enough self-command to control herself from expressing any sign of repugnance she allowed herself no nervous haste or movement or touch that should hurt the feelings of the poorest most friendless creature who ever lay a victim to disease there was no rough getting over of all the disagreeable and painful work of her employment when it was a lessening of pain to have the touch careful and delicate and the ministration performed with gradual skill ruth thought of her charge and not of herself as she had foretold she found a use for all her powers the poor patients themselves were unconsciously gratified and soothed by her harmony and refinement of manner voice and gesture if this harmony and refinement had been merely superficial it would not have had this balmy effect that arose from its being the true expression of a kind modest and humble spirit by degrees her reputation as a nurse spread upwards and many sought her good offices who could well afford to pay for them whatever remuneration was offered to her she took it simply and without comment for she felt that it was not hers to refuse that it was in fact owing to the bensons for her and her child's subsistence she went wherever her services were first called for if the poor bricklayer who broke both his legs in a fall from the scaffolding sent for her when she was disengaged she went and remained with him until he could spare her let who would be the next claimant from the happy and prosperous in all but health she would occasionally beg off when some one less happy and more friendless wished for her and sometimes she would ask for a little money from mr benson to give to such in their time of need but it was astonishing how much she was able to do without money her ways were very quiet she never spoke much any one who has been oppressed with the weight of a vital secret for years and much more any one the character of whose life has been stamped by one event and that producing sorrow and shame is naturally reserved and yet ruth's silence was not like reserve it was too gentle and tender for that it had more the effect of a hush 
of all loud or disturbing emotions, and out of the deep calm the words that came forth had a beautiful power. She did not talk much about religion, but those who noticed her knew that it was the unseen banner which she was following. The low-breathed sentences which she spoke into the ear of the sufferer and the dying carried them upwards to God. She gradually became known and respected among the roughest boys of the rough populace of the town. They would make way for her when she passed along the streets with more deference than they used to most, for all knew something of the tender care with which she had attended this or that sick person, and besides, she was so often in connection with death that something of the superstitious awe with which the dead were regarded by those rough boys in the midst of their strong life surrounded her. She herself did not feel changed. She felt just as faulty, as far from being what she wanted to be as ever. She best knew how many of her good actions were incomplete and marred with evil. She did not feel much change from the earliest Ruth she could remember. Everything seemed to change but herself. Mr. and Miss Benson grew old, and Sally grew deaf, and Leonard was shooting up, and Jemima was a mother. She and the distant hills that she saw from her chamber window seemed the only things which were the same as when she first came to Eccleston. As she sat looking out and taking her fill of solitude, which sometimes was her most thorough rest, as she sat at the attic window looking abroad, she saw their next-door neighbor carried out to sun himself in his garden. When she first came to Eccleston, this neighbor and his daughter were often seen taking long and regular walks. By and by his walks became shorter, and the attentive daughter would convey him home and set out afresh to finish her own. Of late years he had only gone out in the garden behind his house, but at first he had walked pretty briskly there by his daughter's help. Now he was carried and placed in a large cushioned easy chair, his head remaining where it was placed against the pillow, and hardly moving when his kind daughter, who was now middle-aged, brought him the first roses of the summer. This told Ruth of the lapse of life and time. Mr. and Mrs. Farquhar were constant in their attentions, but there was no sign of Mr. Bradshaw ever forgiving the imposition which had been practised upon him, and Mr. Benson ceased to hope for any renewal of their intercourse. Still, he thought that he must know of all the kind attentions which Jemima paid to them, and of the fond regard which both she and her husband bestowed on Leonard. This latter feeling even went so far that Mr. Farquhar called one day, and with much diffidence begged Mr. Benson to urge Ruth to let him to be sent to school, at his, Mr. Farquhar's, expense. Mr. Benson was taken by surprise and hesitated. I do not know. It would be a great advantage in some respects, and yet I doubt whether it would in others. His mother's influence over him is thoroughly good and I should fear that any thoughtless allusions to his peculiar position might touch the raw spot in his mind. 
but he is so unusually clever it seems a shame not to give him all the advantages he can have besides does he see much of his mother now hardly a day passes without her coming home to be an hour or so with him even at her busiest times she says it is her best refreshment and often you know she is disengaged for a week or two except the occasional services which she is always rendering to those who need her your offer is very tempting but there is so decidedly another view of the question to be considered that i believe we must refer it to her with all my heart don't hurry her to a decision let her weigh it well i think she will find the advantages preponderate i wonder if i might trouble you with a little business mr farquhar as you are here certainly i am only too glad to be of any use to you why i see from the report of the star life assurance company in the times which you are so good as to send to me that they have declared a bonus on the shares now it seems strange that i have received no notification of it and i thought that perhaps it might be lying at your office as mr bradshaw was the purchaser of the shares and i have always received the dividends through your firm mr farquhar took the newspaper and ran his eye over the report i have no doubt that's the way of it said he some of our clocks have been careless about it or it may be richard himself he is not always the most punctual and exact of mortals but i'll see about it perhaps after all it mayn't come for a day or two they have always such numbers of these circulars to send out oh i'm in no hurry about it i only want to receive it some time before i incur any expenses which the promise of this bonus may tempt me to indulge in mr farquhar took his leave that evening there was a long conference for as it happened ruth was at home she was strenuously against the school plan she could see no advantages that would counterbalance the evil which she dreaded from any school for leonard namely that the good opinion and regard of the world would assume too high an importance in his eyes the very idea seemed to produce in her so much shrinking affright that by mutual consent the subject was dropped to be taken up again or not according to circumstances mr farquhar wrote the next morning on mr benson's behalf to the insurance company to inquire about the bonus although he wrote in the usual formal way he did not think it necessary to tell mr bradshaw what he had done for mr benson's name was rarely mentioned between the partners each had been made fully aware of the views which the other entertained on the subject that had caused the estrangement and mr farquhar felt that no external argument could affect mr bradshaw's resolved disapproval and avoidance of his former minister as it happened the answer from the insurance company directed to the firm was given to mr bradshaw along with the other business letters it was to the effect that Mr. Benson's shares had been sold and transferred above a twelve-month ago, which sufficiently accounted for the circumstance that no notification of the bonus had been sent to him. Mr. Bradshaw tossed the letter on one side, 
not displeased to have a good reason for feeling a little contempt at the unbusinesslike forgetfulness of Mr. Benson, at whose insistence some one had evidently been writing to the insurance company. On Mr. Farquhar's entrance he expressed this feeling to him. Really, he said, these dissenting ministers have no more notion of exactitude in their affairs than a child. The idea of forgetting that he had sold his shares and applying for the bonus, when it seems he had transferred them only a year ago. Mr. Farquhar was reading the letter while Mr. Bradshaw spoke. I don't quite understand it, said he. Mr. Benson was quite clear about it. He could not have received his half-yearly dividends unless he had been possessed of these shares, and I don't suppose dissenting ministers, with all their ignorance of business, are unlike other men in knowing whether or not they receive the money that they believe to be owing to them. I should not wonder if they were, if Benson was, at any rate. Why, I never knew his watch to be right in all my life. It was always too fast or too slow. It must have been a daily discomfort to him. It ought to have been. Depend upon it, his money matters are just in the same irregular state. No accounts kept. I'll be bound. I don't see that that follows, said Mr. Farquhar, half amused. That watch of his is a very curious one. Belonged to his father and grandfather, I don't know how far back. And the sentimental feelings which he is guided by prompt him to keep it, to the inconvenience of himself and everyone else. Mr. Farquhar gave up the subject of the watch as hopeless. But about this letter. I wrote at Mr. Benson's desire to the insurance office, and I am not satisfied with this answer. All the transaction has passed through our hands. I do not think it is likely Mr. Benson would write and sell the shares without, at any rate, informing us at the time, even though he forgot all about it afterwards. Probably he told Richard or Mr. Watson. We can ask Mr. Watson at once. I am afraid we must wait till Richard comes home, for I don't know where a letter would catch him. Mr. Bradshaw pulled the bell that rang into the head clerk's room, saying as he did so, you may depend upon it, Farquhar, the blunder lies with Benson himself. He is just the man to muddle away his money in indiscriminate charity, and then to wonder what has become of it. Mr. Farquhar was discreet enough to hold his tongue. Mr. Watson, said Mr. Bradshaw, as the old clerk made his appearance, here is some mistake about those insurance shares we purchased for Benson ten or a dozen years ago. He spoke to Mr. Farquhar about some bonus they are paying to the shareholders, it seems, and, in reply to Mr. Farquhar's letter, the insurance company say the shares were sold twelve months since. Have you any knowledge of the transaction? Has the transfer passed through your hands? By the way, turning to Mr. Farquhar, who kept the certificates? Did Benson or we? I really don't know, said Mr. Farquhar. Perhaps Mr. Watson can tell us. Mr. Watson, meanwhile, was studying the letter. When he had ended it, he took off his spectacles, wiped them, and replacing them, he read it again. It seems very strange, sir, he said at length, with his trembling, aged voice, for I paid Mr. Benson the account of the dividends myself last June, and got a receipt in form. 
and that is since the date of the alleged transfer. Pretty nearly twelve months after it took place, said Mr. Farquhar. How did you receive the dividends? An order on the bank, along with old Mrs. Cranmer's? asked Mr. Bradshaw sharply. I don't know how they came. Mr. Richard gave me the money and desired me to get the receipt. It's unlucky Richard is from home, said Mr. Bradshaw. He could have cleared up this mystery for us. Mr. Farquhar was silent. Do you know where the certificates were kept, Mr. Watson? said he. I'll not be sure, but I think they were with Mrs. Cranmer's papers and deeds in box A-24. I wish old Cranmer would have made any other man his executor. She, too, is always coming with some unreasonable request or other. Mr. Benson's inquiry about his bonus is perfectly reasonable at any rate. Mr. Watson, who was dwelling in the slow fashion of age on what had been said before, now spoke. I'll not be sure, but I am almost certain, Mr. Benson said, when I paid him last June that he thought he ought to give the receipt on a stamp, and had spoken about it to Mr. Richard the time before, but that Mr. Richard said that it was of no consequence. Yes, continued he, gathering up his memory as he went on. He did, I remember now, and I thought to myself that Mr. Richard was but a young man. Mr. Richard will know all about it. Yes, said Mr. Farquhar gravely. I shan't wait till Richard's return, said Mr. Bradshaw. We can soon see if the certificates are in the box Watson points out. If they are there, the insurance people are no more fit to manage their concern than that cat, and I shall tell them so. If they are not there, as I suspect will prove to be the case, it is just forgetfulness on Benson's part, as I have said from the first. You forget the payment of the dividends, said Mr. Farquhar in a low voice. Well, sir, what then? said Mr. Bradshaw abruptly. While he spoke, while his eye met Mr. Farquhar's, the hinted meaning of the latter flashed through his mind, but he was only made angry to find that such a suspicion could pass through anyone's imagination. I suppose I may go, sir, said Watson respectfully, an uneasy consciousness of what was in Mr. Farquhar's thoughts troubling the faithful old clerk. Yes, go. What do you mean about the dividends? asked Mr. Bradshaw impetuously of Mr. Farquhar. Simply, I think there can have been no forgetfulness, no mistake on Mr. Benson's part, said Mr. Farquhar, unwilling to put his dim suspicion into words. Then, of course, it is some blunder of that confounded insurance company. I will write to them to-day and make them a little brisker and more correct in their statements. Don't you think it would be better to wait till Richard's return? He may be able to explain it. No, sir, said Mr. Bradshaw sharply. I do not think it would be better. It has not been my way of doing business to spare anyone or any company the consequences of their own carelessness, nor to obtain information second-hand, when I could have it direct from the source. I shall write to the insurance office by the next post. Mr. Farquhar saw that any further remonstrance on his part would only aggravate his partner's obstinacy, and besides, it was but a suspicion, 
an uncomfortable suspicion. It was possible that some of the clerks at the insurance office might have made a mistake. Watson was not sure, after all, that the certificates had been deposited in Box A-24, and when he and Mr. Farquhar could not find them there, the old man drew more and yet more back from his first assertion of belief that they had been placed there. Mr. Bradshaw wrote an angry and indignant reproach of carelessness to the insurance company. By the next mail, one of their clerks came down to Eccleston, and having leisurely refreshed himself at the inn and ordered his dinner with care, he walked up to the great warehouse of Bradshaw and Company and sent in his card, and with a pencil notification, on the part of the Star Insurance Company, to Mr. Bradshaw himself. Mr. Bradshaw held the card in his hand for a minute or two without raising his eyes. Then he spoke out loud and firm. Desire the gentleman to walk up. Stay. I will ring my bell in a minute or two, and then show him upstairs. When the errand boy had closed the door, Mr. Bradshaw went to a cupboard where he usually kept a glass and a bottle of wine, of which he very seldom partook, for he was an abstemious man. He intended now to take a glass, but the bottle was empty, and though there was plenty more to be had for ringing, or even simply going into another room, he would not allow himself to do this. He stood and lectured himself in thought. After all, I am a fool for once in my life. If the certificates are in no box which I have yet examined, that does not imply they may not be in some which I have not had time to search. Farquhar would stay so late last night, and, even if they are in none of the boxes here, that does not prove. He gave the bell a jerking ring, and it was yet sounding when Mr. Smith, the insurance clerk, entered. The manager of the insurance company had been considerably nettled at the tone of Mr. Bradshaw's letter, and had instructed the clerk to assume some dignity at first in vindicating, as it was well in his power to do, the character of the proceedings of the company. But at the same time he was not to go too far, for the firm of Bradshaw and Company was daily looming larger in the commercial world and if any reasonable explanation could be given it was to be received and bygones be bygones sit down sir said mr bradshaw you are aware sir i presume that i come on the part of mr dennison the manager of the star insurance company to reply in person to a letter of yours of the twenty-ninth addressed to him mr bradshaw bowed a very careless piece of business, he said stiffly. Mr. Dennison does not think you will consider it as such when you have seen the deed of transfer, which I am commissioned to show you. Mr. Bradshaw took the deed with a steady hand. He wiped his spectacles quietly, without delay and without hurry, and adjusted them on his nose. It is possible that he was rather long in looking over the document. At least, the clerk had just begun to wonder if he was reading through the whole of it, instead of merely looking at the signature, when Mr. Bradshaw said, "'It is possible that it may be. Of course, you will allow me to take this paper to Mr. Benson, to—to to inquire if this be his signature.' 
"'There can be no doubt of it, I think, sir,' said the clerk, calmly smiling, for he knew Mr. Benson's signature well. "'I don't know, sir, I don't know.' He was speaking as if the pronunciation of every word required a separate effort of will, like a man who has received a slight paralytic stroke. "'You have heard, sir, of such a thing as forgery. Forgery, sir,' said he, repeating the last word very distinctly, for he feared that the first time he had said it, it was rather slurred over. "'Oh, sir, there is no room for imagining such a thing. I assure you, in our affairs we become aware of curious forgetfulness on the part of those who are not of business habits. Still, I should like to show it Mr. Benson, to prove to him his forgetfulness, you know. I believe, on my soul, it is some of his careless forgetfulness. I do, sir, said he. Now he spoke very quickly. It must have been. Allow me to convince myself. You shall have it back to-night, or first thing in the morning. The clerk did not quite like to relinquish the deed, nor yet did he like to refuse Mr. Bradshaw if that very uncomfortable idea of forgery should have any foundation in truth, and he had given up the writing. There were a thousand chances to one against its being anything but a stupid blunder. The risk was more imminent of offending one of the directors. As he hesitated, Mr. Bradshaw spoke very calmly, and almost with a smile on his face. He had regained his self-command. You are afraid, I see. I assure you, you may trust me. If there has been any fraud, if I have the slightest suspicion of the truth of the surmise I threw out just now, he could not quite speak the bare naked word that was chilling his heart, I will not fail to aid the ends of justice, even though the culprit should be my own son. He ended, as he began, with a smile, such a smile, the stiff lips refused to relax and cover the teeth. But all the time he kept saying to himself, I don't believe it, I don't believe it. I'm convinced it's a blunder of that old fool Benson. But when he had dismissed the clerk and secured the piece of paper, he went and locked the door and laid his head on his desk and moaned aloud. He had lingered in the office for the two previous nights, at first occupying himself in searching for the certificates of the insurance shares, but when all the boxes and other repositories for papers had been ransacked, the thought took hold of him that they might be in Richard's private desk, and, with the determination which overlooks the means to get at the end, he had first tried all his own keys on the complicated lock, and then broken it open with two decided blows of a poker, the instrument nearest at hand. He did not find the certificates. Richard had always considered himself careful in destroying any dangerous or tell-tale papers, but the stern father found enough in what remained to convince him that his patterned son, more even than his patterned son, his beloved pride, was far other than what he seemed. Mr. Bradshaw did not skip or miss a word. He did not shrink while he read. He folded up letter by letter, he snuffed the candle when its light began to wane, and no sooner, but he did not miss or omit one paper, he read every word. 
then leaving the letters in a heap upon the table and the broken desk to tell its own tale he locked the door of the room which was appropriated to his son as junior partner and carried the key away with him there was a faint hope even after this discovery of many circumstances of richard's life which shocked and dismayed his father there was still a faint hope that he might not be guilty of forgery that it might not be no forgery after all only a blunder an omission a stupendous piece of forgetfulness that hope was the one straw that mr bradshaw clung to late that night mr benson sat in his study every one else in the house had gone to bed but he was expecting a summons to some one who was dangerously ill he was not startled therefore at the knock which came to the front door about twelve but he was rather surprised at the character of the knock so slow and loud with a pause between each rap his study door was but a step from that which led into the street he opened it and there stood mr bradshaw his large portly figure not to be mistaken even in the dusky night he said that is right it was you i wanted to see and he walked straight into the study mr benson followed and shut the door mr bradshaw was standing by the table fumbling in his pocket he pulled out the deed and opening it after a pause in which you might have counted five he held it out to mr benson read it said he he spoke not another word until time had been allowed for its perusal then he added that is your signature the words were an assertion but the tone was that of question no it is not said mr benson decidedly it is very like my writing i could almost say it was mine but i know it is not recollect yourself a little the date is august the third of last year fourteen months ago you may have forgotten it the tone of the voice had a kind of eager entreaty in it which mr benson did not notice he was so startled at the fetch of his own writing it is most singularly like mine but i could not have signed away these shares all the property i have without the slightest remembrance of it stranger things have happened for the love of heaven think if you did not sign it it's a deed to transfer for those insurance shares you see you don't remember it you did not write this name these words he looked at mr benson with craving wistfulness for one particular answer mr benson glanced anxiously at mr bradshaw whose manner gait and voice were so different from usual that he might well excite attention but as soon as the latter was aware of this momentary inspection he changed his tone all at once don't imagine sir i wish to force any invention upon you as a remembrance if you did not write this name i know who did once more i ask you does no glimmering recollection of having needed money will say i never wanted you to refuse my subscription to the chapel god knows of having sold these accursed shares oh i see by your face you did not write it you need not speak to me i know he sank down into a chair near him his whole figure drooped in a moment he was up and standing straight as an arrow confronting mr benson who could find no clue to this stern man's agitation 
you say you did not write these words pointing to the signature with an untrembling finger i believe you richard bradshaw did write them my dear sir my dear old friend exclaimed mr benson you are rushing to a conclusion for which i am convinced there is no foundation there is no reason to suppose that because there is reason sir do not distress yourself i am perfectly calm his stony eyes and immovable face did indeed look rigid what we have now to do is punish the offence i have not one standard for myself and those i love and mr benson i did love him and another for the rest of the world if a stranger had forged my name i should have known it was my duty to prosecute him you must prosecute richard i will not said mr benson you think perhaps that i shall feel it acutely you are mistaken he is no longer as my son to me i have always resolved to disown any child of mine who is guilty of sin i disown richard he is as a stranger to me i shall feel no more at his exposure his punishment he could not go on for his voice was choking of course you understand that i must feel shame at our connection it is that that is troubling me that is but consistent with a man who has always prided himself on the integrity of his name but as for that boy who has been brought up all his life as i have brought up my children it must be some innate wickedness sir i can cut him off though he has been as my right hand beloved let me be of no hindrance to the course of justice i beg he has forged your name he has defrauded you of money of your all i think you said some one has forged my name i am not convinced that it was your son until i know all the circumstances i decline to prosecute what circumstances asked mr bradshaw in an authoritative manner which would have shown irritation but for his self-command the force of that temptation the previous habits of the person of richard he is the person mr bradshaw put in mr benson went on without taking any notice i should think it right to prosecute if i found out that this offence against me was only one of a series committed with premeditation against society i should then feel as a protector of others more helpless than myself it was your all said mr bradshaw it was all my money it was not my all replied mr benson and then he went on as if the interruption had never been against an habitual offender i shall not prosecute richard not because he is your son do not imagine that i should decline taking such a step against any young man without first ascertaining the particulars about him which i know already about richard and which determine me against doing what would blast his character for life would destroy every good quality he has what good quality remains to him asked mr bradshaw he has deceived me he has offended god have we not all offended him mr benson said in a low tone not consciously i never do wrong consciously but richard richard the remembrance of the undeceiving letters the forgery filled up his heart so completely that he could not speak for a minute or two yet when he saw mr benson on the point of saying something he broke in it is of no use talking sir 
you and i cannot agree on these subjects once more i desire you to prosecute that boy who is no longer a child of mine mr bradshaw i shall not prosecute him i have said it once for all to-morrow you will be glad that i do not listen to you i should only do harm by saying more at present there is always something aggravating in being told that the mood in which we are now viewing things strongly will not be our mood at some other time it implies that our present feelings are blinding us and that some more clear-sighted spectator is able to distinguish our future better than we do ourselves the most shallow person dislikes to be told that any one can gauge his depth mr bradshaw was not soothed by this last remark of mr benson's he stooped down to take up his hat and be gone mr benson saw his dizzy way of groping and gave him what he sought for but he received no word of thanks mr bradshaw went silently towards the door but just as he got there he turned round and said if there were more people like me and fewer like you there would be less evil in the world sir it's your sentimentalists that nurse up sin although mr benson had been very calm during this interview he had been much shocked by what had been let out respecting richard's forgery not by the fact itself so much as by what it was a sign of still he had known the young man from childhood and had seen and often regretted that his want of moral courage had rendered him peculiarly liable to all the bad effects arising from his father's severe and arbitrary mode of treatment dick would never have had pluck enough to be a hardened villain under any circumstances but unless some good influence some strength was brought to bear upon him he might easily sink into the sneaking scoundrel mr benson determined to go to mr farquhar's the first thing in the morning and consult him as a calm clear-headed family friend partner in the business as well as son and brother-in-law to the people concerned end of chapter thirty